Please do keep uh, page 971 open. That is the Lord Jesus speaking. And what he says is wonderful. Uh, There's no reason really why God should even notice that we are here, let alone listen to tiny ants like us. But Jesus says that every prayer will be answered. Verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you for everyone. Everyone who asks receives, finds, and the door will be opened. There's three different ways he says it in verse 7. He then repeats it in verse 8. And then in verses 9, 10, and 11, he gives a powerful illustration that works as a a how much more certain is this when we're dealing with God. He wants us to be certain that our prayers will be answered. So ask and seek and knock, which is wonderful, but perhaps confusing. Because all of us know the experience of praying and getting the answer, no. Uh, On Tuesday evenings, as Tasha said, we're doing summer gatherings. And on Tuesday night, this really was the discussion, certainly on our table where I was, but I'm sure all around the room. We looked at uh, Hannah. So Samuel's mother, Hannah, prayed the same prayer year after year after painful year. And the answer was no for a long time before it was yes. And in our group, we spoke about Job and about Paul and even about Jesus, about times that they prayed and God's answer was no. Jesus says, everyone who asks receives, but sometimes we don't. And I thought um, during the week, I thought of at least four bad ways that we might adjust for that reality. So maybe we think, um, I am bad at praying. Um, That would be the first one, I think. We think maybe there's a more powerful, more effective way of praying. Or or second, maybe we just think, maybe I am just bad. Uh, As in, never mind bad at praying, maybe God has decided I don't deserve the answer yes. Uh, Or third, Maybe we begin to wonder if God is bad, Uh, particularly when there is suffering involved in the thing we're asking for. Maybe God cannot be trusted and does not want good for us. And then fourth way, maybe uh, we fear that Jesus is a liar. If he says that everyone who asks receives, and I don't. And uh, then unless um, our friends talk good Bible sense to us, uh, if we allow any of those four things to sort of take root inside us, then we, I think, change what we pray for. Um, I wonder if other people here have done that over the years. Um, we move smaller so that we, we only actually pray for the things that really we think we can do on our own. Um, we probably shouldn't use exam results as the example. This is the week that A-level results come out, isn't it? Um, but, you know, we asked for things that really um, we were going to do all the work ourselves anyway. Uh, or we ask for things so general that we would never know if the answer had been yes or no, which protects us. It protects us from disappointment, um, except, of course, when there's something that we care about too much. And those then are the hardest uh, times, aren't they? 
uh, when I desperately want a friend to become a Christian or when I desperately want someone who I love not to be sick anymore. I can't do those things on my own. Um, And they are specific and they don't always happen. God doesn't always say yes. Um, We can assume, I think, that the Apostle Paul was good at praying. Um, And yet, he prayed three times for healing and was told no each time. And we have three chapters in the book of Romans about his terrible distress that the fact that his fellow countrymen would not become Christians. Uh, But he was good at praying. And actually, he understood that God sees all of us as undeserving people, but perfect in his sight. Paul understood that, and Paul knew it wasn't because uh, God wasn't good, and Paul knew that Jesus told the truth. See, Jesus here, he is promising that every prayer will be answered, but we often forget that no is an answer, and can be a good answer. It can be a better answer than the one we would have wanted, a better answer than yes. And the promise here is that we will receive and find the good things that the Sermon on the Mount has told us to ask for. comes towards the end of a a three-chapter sermon from Jesus. Um, See, we are so sure that we know what will be good for us that we just cannot imagine that no could ever be better. Paul, in those chapters, Paul says, I am willing to give up my own salvation if only more Jewish people could be saved. And yet, in his life and his experience, the answer was no. Um, Jesus prayed for a way to avoid the cross, and he was sorrowful to the point of death, and yet he accepted that God's answer was better. Uh, Paul asked for his flesh to be healed and was told that the thorn in his flesh was good because my power is made perfect in weakness. So what I want us to do this morning is to listen to Jesus and to learn to pray with his confidence. There are the three headings we're going to follow through. Um, To pray with his confidence, understanding this is the same man who prayed in the garden with sweat like drops of blood while he received the most important no there ever was to a prayer. So first of all, I'd like us to pray bigger, not smaller. Jesus wants us to pray. You can see that in these verses. Ask, seek, knock. And God does not at all need us to dial back what we ask for. And we may mind hearing no or wait, but God does not mind delivering them. And remember again, none of this is about us being bad at praying or being bad people. Ask for whatever is on our hearts. Seek for the things that we most want. Pray for the things that we have no chance of doing ourselves. And verse 12 tells us the kind of crazy, huge praying that Jesus has in mind. So verse 12, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. That tells us this is the the end of the core teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus, he has been um, preaching since chapter 5. And in chapter 5, verse 17, just one page back, he starts 
talking about the law and the prophets. So 5.17 to 7.12 is all one big block of teaching. It's how to live as a Christian disciple. And in there, it is truly astonishing and challenging. Uh, 5 verse 20, we need to keep the law better than the Pharisees. 5 verse 48, we need to be perfect in the same way as our Heavenly Father is perfect. So to take one example, 5 verse 21, it's not enough just to avoid murdering people. You may think you've done well after a day at work if you've managed to avoid murdering anybody. Um, it's not enough. Jesus says, please never be angry and never call them a fool. In fact, 7 verse 12, when faced with the fool who you surely want to murder, Jesus says, do to them exactly what you would want them to do for you. Um, Can you see why we might need God's help with that? Um, Our our first two weeks in this series, we're looking at Jesus' prayers in Matthew's Gospel. Um, Our first two weeks have been inside the Sermon on the Mount, and they've been in chapter 6 and around the Lord's Prayer, which we've already prayed this morning. And I I was paying attention as we prayed it, looking around the room. Um, Chris last week called it a radically self-involving prayer. Um, But I didn't notice anybody sort of hesitate to pray it after hearing as he told us what that meant last week. Your kingdom and your will in every corner of this troubled world, a kingdom of global justice and of peace everywhere, including through my actions and my service and my sacrifice. Ask, seek, knock. Ask for that and he will answer. Um, So when we pray for exam results, we ask and we seek and we knock, and Jesus wants us to ask, but we don't know what would be good. Uh, We don't know what God intends. And normally, God normally seems to want me to get the exam results or whatever it is that I worked for or didn't work for, depending on, uh, you know, who you are or how well you know me, uh, and no more and no less. Um, And when Paul, who had healed hundreds of people, prayed for healing, he did not know what God wanted the answer to be. And when God told him, he accepted the no answer. Uh, So when we pray for help uh, in Sermon on the Mount ways, we, we know that we are asking for what God wants. We know these are prayers he wants to say yes to. When we pray for help with anger or with lust or with love for enemies or with hypocrisy or with worry or with judgmentalism, we know we're asking for something that God wants. Uh, We don't know how swift or how total the answer will be. We don't know how long the road will be, but we know what he wants and Jesus tells us he will answer And the challenge there is about what we ask for and how passionately. So I may really want good exam results, though perhaps not quite enough to start revision in time. But do I really want a life without anger or lust? Do I really want a life in which I treat all my enemies as I would want them to treat me? And there's a book that I know lots of people have read uh, that um, 
uh, Jonathan Lewis and others have been trying to get everyone to buy and read. Um, there's a startling suggestion in the beginning of that book. Um, have we actually stopped praying because all around it's just easier for us? Uh, it's easier on those questions of why God doesn't give the, the obvious yes that I know he should. Um, easier because I don't really want to be perfect like him. And I don't really want to realize how different my heart is from his. And the answer here is not to try and, um, uh, you know, steal our way into God's secrets, try and find out ahead of time whether, you know, a B grade or a C grade in my exam is what God intends to bring the gospel to North Korea or something, and then twist God's arm to giving me the grade I want. The answer, same as our first week, is to think more about who we're praying to than about what it is we want uh, as the answer. And then to learn to trust him with the answers so that we keep asking even when he says no or he says wait. So make our prayers bigger uh, because we have a good father. And this is verses 9 to 11. Jesus' illustration here, I think it is good for all of us in our praying. Um, It's also good for any of us here who are struggling to be good fathers. Uh, This week is the the church family holiday, so lots of people are away on Cornerstone. And Claire, my wife, is away uh, with one of our children, and I'm on my own with the other child, uh, one teenager, uh, who I should say, for the record and truthfully, is really very well-intentioned and very kind. But here I have, I have a week of struggling to be a good father. Um, And so far, we are not yet one day in, and only six to go uh, on how that's going. So um, here's some help. Verse 9. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Um, Now, we need to make sure we've uh, calibrated these verses correctly. As Chris said last week as well, thinking about fathers, Jesus will be aware that some fathers treat their children terribly. Um, He's not here at all denying your experience if you were neglected or you were belittled or you were hurt. Uh, Jesus, certainly he knows all about family conflict and he speaks about it often. Um, But the, the abusive father stands out because we all recognize the model that Jesus holds up here as normal. Uh, The surprise is that thoroughly normal, which is to say thoroughly selfish human men, in general, manage to give good things to their children, not bad things. That is a a surprise. One of the, um, the most helpful books I read on holiday was also one of the most wrong books I've ever read. So I'm not necessarily recommending this. It's called Abolish the Family. Um, and it, it's, it's, it is entirely about what you think it might be. It's um, written by someone who really thinks we would be better off if every child was taken from their parents at birth and raised in uh, vast state orphanages. And um, the, the author uh, points out that the family is a prison of compulsory care. 
uh, where mothers and fathers are asked to sacrifice themselves for the good of these tiny strangers uh, dropped in your home by nothing more significant than biology. And actually, I say it was quite helpful because on an afternoon when I was feeling particularly selfish and imprisoned, uh, she, she was telling me, you should break free from sacrifice and submission to the needs of others and from care and love. Uh, and I realized really, oh, yeah, those are all good things, aren't they? Um, So even in an imperfect family, fathers, though we are evil, we give good gifts to our children. And um, Jesus' examples here are not a particularly high bar for the Christmas list. Uh, So your child may not um, enjoy bread or fish, but in a subsistence economy that knew frequent hunger, they are here because this is what the child asks for and what the child loves to get. And the, the stone and the snake, they're, they're not just a sort of comedy substitution. It's not like a prank video. You should have seen my two-year-old's face when I gave him that piece of stone to eat. Um, both of these are dangerous. Um, I speak of someone who did, in fact, give my son a snake. Uh, we, um, he had a pet snake for several years, uh, and it was about this tall by the time it was fully grown, and it would wrap its scaly body around the sides of his bed on hot days, and he would carry it around and fall asleep to the sound of the hissing reptile. Um, because in England, uh, a snake is a fun thing, a friendly thing, unless you are actually a frozen mouse. But um, we, we shared a house with some Australians at the time, who would not allow the snake to come onto their floor of the house. Because we only lost it once, which was good for their peace of mind. Um, because snakes in Australia, as in most of the world, and certainly in Galilee, snakes mean death. Uh, earlier this morning at the 9.30, we illustrated this in a, a kid's talk with five jam donuts. Uh, who wouldn't want a jam donut halfway through the sermon? And uh, we made five victims, sorry, five uh, kind musicians, uh, volunteers, come and eat them really quickly. So they were kind of all in before they realized that I'd spiked two of them with mustard. Uh, it's quite hard to do, actually. You take out the jam and put in the mustard. Um, and Jesus' point is... Uh, it, Fathers don't do that to their children, not even that, but actually the father who takes out the middle of the loaf and replaces it with a stone is risking his child's teeth and then condemning them to go to sleep hungry. And the snake is not um, you know, a slimy meal, a less tasty meal. The snake is a dangerous, deadly threat. Elsewhere in uh, the New Testament, Jesus expands the example to include scorpions, which is where I become thoroughly Australian about this. Uh, We would never do this. We never have. Uh, We may struggle to know quite what to buy teenagers uh, when really they don't want to leave the house, but we don't try and starve them or poison them. And we are less good at this than God. That's the point, a lot less. When we ask and we seek and we hammer on the door, we tend to think actually that God is a lot worse than a human father. Um, That's why we we wonder about whether we're praying right, uh, whether we're using the right words. We worry about whether we've done enough good things to be accepted or whether actually he really even wants good things for us. When children should never have to worry about any of those things. And Jesus says that the generally good human fathers, we are all evil 
compared to God. So how much more will your Father in heaven give you good gifts? Um, But like younger children, um, we may need to accept that God knows better than us what is good. At home, we have the um, the Calvin and Hobbes cartoons. So um, we have them all in the, the children's bathroom. I'm not quite sure why, perhaps to try and teach them something, not sure what. Uh, in the, the cartoons, Calvin is an imaginative but naughty six-year-old. And he asks for great presents. He wants a rocket launcher and a flamethrower and a chainsaw. Um, and his dad, annoyingly for him, always says no. Um, I don't know how things were in your home uh, when you were growing up. I remember vividly, age seven, my brother gave me an air pistol and my mum let me keep it. Uh, it was fantastic. But there was another one. I remember when I was about five, um, a family friend made me a boat. It's a lovely present for a child, isn't it? A boat uh, to go in the bath. Um, it was made out of a rusty Coke can that uh, he had sort of bent and cut into shape. And it had a little propeller that would turn when you filled it with paraffin and set it on fire. Uh, and it, um, it went smoking and flaming around your bath. I remember vividly the one night that happened. And it happened for as long as the family friend was still in the building. So I could come downstairs after my bath and say, that was the best present ever. Um, and then I never saw it ever again. Um, of course I didn't. Uh, It was what I wanted, but there were about 10 different ways that it was not good for me. Jesus says we can be confident that God will answer every prayer. Every door will open. We will find every time, but only will we find good things. And only what he knows is good. And only on his timetable, which runs right um, out of the end of our short lives and off into everlasting time, uh, into a world where sacrifice is glorious and weakness is power and holiness is worth more than silver or gold. So ask and seek and knock. And as the answers come back, yes, no, or wait, then think more and more about our Father and his trustworthiness and less and less about my situation and my obvious solutions. The the first week of this series, Campbell uh, told us it was really a one-word sermon, though I noticed it took him more than one word to preach it. But the one word was Father. Um, Do we really believe we are sons and daughters of a father? If so, what we really need is to get to know him better rather than think more about my situation. If you look up at 6 verse 32, just slightly further up the page, uh, pagan prayer is all about what I need because pagan prayer has no confidence that the one in heaven has the first idea that I need bread or water or clothes and certainly no idea that he is a loving father who cares for me. But with our father, verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Same thing as in our verses. Seek, but seek him and his kingdom. The things that Jesus tells us to pray for in the Lord's Prayer. The things he tells us to want in the Sermon on the Mount. So I want us just to lose, use our last few uh, minutes looking at some examples. So because we have a good father who gives us good gifts. 
So look down again at our verses, verses 7 to 12, and then just look on over the page to what comes next. Um, And in the, the very next verses, first of all, tell us exactly what door to knock on. Um, Verses about uh, two gates, a narrow gate and a broad gate. There is a gate that leads to life. And everything in this life now is put in right perspective by the two destinations. In verse 13, verse 14, many never enter through the gate that leads to life. Only a few find it. Ask, seek, knock says Jesus, and you will receive and you will find and the door will be open to you. When it comes to becoming a Christian, to becoming a child of God, to being accepted by this wonderful, loving Father in heaven, uh, the Pharisees are wrong. You, You don't need to be outwardly perfect first. You don't need to put on a hypocrite's mask of good deeds. He sees into your soul anyway, so it's pointless. You need instead... The very first beatitude, chapter 5, verse 3, you need to be poor in spirit. need to come as the spiritual bankrupt, come humble or meek, and come knocking at the door to say, please, will you let me in? And a hundred times out of a hundred, Jesus says that God answers that with a yes. Yes, you can come in. But then look ahead. Look ahead to verses 24 to 27 of chapter 7. It's a reasonably well-known story about um, two people who build houses, one on the rock, one on the sand, and I'd never really reflected on it as about prayer before. Um, There's two lives in the story, one of them built on obedience to Jesus' teaching, and the other one built on listening to him, but not obeying him. And as I was reading it again, I was thinking about this this thing to do with prayers that receive no answers. And some of the most painful of those, as we've said, are about sickness and suffering and injustice and mistreatment. And I noticed looking down at it that the, the two lives in the parable, they have the same experiences. One obeys Jesus, the other doesn't. But they have the same life experience. Verse 25, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it's not at all a story about the good disciple having an easier life. It's not about God miraculously taking away the storms when he is asked to. So actually the really big prayer here is about obedience during the storms and about perseverance through to the end. That would be a prayer that Jesus is telling us God intends to say yes to if we will ask and seek and knock. And in the end of the story, one house stands and the other fell. Uh, Whatever happens with my exam results this week, whatever my parents say, whatever my friends say, the real prayer is, please will I keep obeying Jesus. And please will I keep trusting Jesus through a difficult week, through a difficult year, um, all the way to my sick bed and my hospital bed and my hospice bed and my grave. And and that's why the the Lord's Prayer is at the heart of the whole three-chapter sermon. Um, There is the relationship with this perfect, loving, heavenly Father who will open the gate and wants to be with us for... uh, everlasting time on his perfect future earth. 
And that is the main good that he wants for us. He wants to be with us. And he, he looks at this world of suffering and injustice with far more understanding and far more concern than we do. And then he tells us to pray that his kingdom and his will and then our lives, living that out here and now, would be what would happen. And when it comes to asking for our needs in the Lord's Prayer, um, it starts and ends with enough to eat today. And it majors in the prayer on sin and temptation, on forgiveness, and on trying again to serve Jesus. This morning with the children, we said it's a prayer for bread, not bagatis. Uh, perhaps it's a prayer for help with sin and not help with S-levels. And Jesus, he's speaking here about his own true father, who he knows well. And he says, every prayer will be answered, and every answer will be good. And the other side of the the storms and the worries, we will see him face to face, and we will thank him for every good yes. And we will know the reason for every good no. And until then, and I want to encourage us maybe to do this by talking to each other this morning, um, let's help each other to ask and to seek and to knock. Um, let me lead us in a, a short prayer now. Our dear Heavenly Father, we think how amazing, how wonderful it is you would even be aware of us here in London, here at All Souls this morning. How amazing you would uh, turn towards us in love rather than away from us. And how amazing to have this promise from Jesus that everyone who asks receives. Father, pray you be at work in our hearts until we are asking for what you want and asking for what would most do us good and until we are trusting you through all the storms of life until we see you face to face, our good and kind, loving Father and our brother Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.